0: Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Bob Lehman, and he is the president of the AOA. Uh, Bob is a dear friend of mine. I've gotten to know him actually through runs and through uh, our work within the profession. And um, he he is a a true giant in our profession and a really great friend. We had a good, good conversation about... Um, public messaging within our profession and within ophthalmology and and how our profession responds on our behalf. Uh, Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. Young and emerging presbyopes can be tricky. These patients want and need additional help at NEAR, they can be resistant to solutions that create even mild distance blur. The MyDay multifocal lens has been great for our presbyopic patients. It allows those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily. We've had this lens now for long enough that we've been able to see how simple transitions can be from an adaptation standpoint from lower ad designs to higher ad designs. The MyDay Multifocal Material is Cooper Vision's softest one-day hydrogel lens and features aquaform technology combining the unique balance of high oxygen permeability with natural wettability in one material. The result is a highly breathable lens that keeps our patient's eyes looking clear, white, and healthy. So if you haven't started utilizing My Day Multifocal in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your Cooper Vision representative to get started. One of the challenging things with patients is that when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and customized lenses, occasionally it can be difficult to keep those lenses clean, scratch free and smudge free. Now, We have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients a best-in-class anti-reflective coating that is also resistant to scratches, smudges, and deposits. This means that patients spend more time enjoying clear and comfortable vision and less time caring for their lenses. So remember that you can provide patients with the best-in-quality, best-in-class transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Krizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com backslash So, Bob, I, I, I wanted to have you on, and thanks so much for coming on, because I wanted to talk to you about this Today Show clip. And, and a couple reasons. The first is, and, and we're going to play that clip for our listeners. Uh, in fact, let's play the clip right now for our listeners. Uh, but I do like seeing peepers. <laughs> uh, here to break it down, ophthalmologist, Dr. Annie. <laughs> the Dr. Annie, good to have you back. Thank, Thank you for coming. You, she saved my me. vision Just, a few years ago. Oh, really? Oh, yeah.
1: I had a know was, that. Oh yeah, I had a big problem with my eyes. I couldn't wear my contacts. I sleeping in his contact. sleeping contacts. Oh, that's right. In your context. Well, I did not know this, Dr. Okay. Annie. Saved my eyes. So thank you, Dr. Annie. You're
0: welcome. So let's just start, because I didn't know this until a couple of years ago. The biggest difference between an
1: optometrist and an ophthalmologist. The so big question I get a lot. So mm-hmm. ophthalmologists like myself go to medical school. They'll complete a residency usually about four years afterwards, just like your dermatologist, mm-hmm. uh, or an ear, nose and throat specialist. So these are people who or medical doctors, they operate, they can treat medical diseases, especially related to other things going on in the body. Optometrists go to a college of optometry. They're doctors of optometry. Okay. Great for prescribing glasses, contacts. Depending on where you live, some of these optometrists can be really adept at screening for medical diseases as well. Okay, Okay. so we wanna break down some of the myths for eye health. Um, And first of all, having 20-20 vision means you have perfect eyes. Does that mean you do not ever have to go to Eye doctor no so 20 20 vision means you have perfect vision that's it hmm. so we have a lot of eye diseases and systemic diseases that have symptoms you may not realize are affecting your eyes hmm. and you're not going to <clears> know unless you go to an ophthalmologist to get them checked so for instance glaucoma is a really scary disease that we don't want to wait to diagnose no symptoms with glaucoma so you might not even know it until late stages which Mm. is really a shame you can be 20 20 and not realize that's that's scary i didn't know that yeah Yeah. that's good all right so let's talk about another myth i thought this was interesting i'm guilty of this Mm. if a child passes a school eye exam most parents go okay well we don't need to take you to the eye doctor right now because your eyes are fine right so most of our children are being screened either in school or with the nurse at the pediatrician's office right so a lot of kids fall through the cracks not only that, kids are great at gaming the system. That's some of them true. really want glasses and they can pretend that they're that faking was, uh, it. Interesting. I did. I and think then some mine. of them, if you were me and when you were younger, you could fake it. You could yeah. memorize the mm-hmm. lines and kind of fall. It's always the E at the top. So wait a minute then. So if you go to the pediatrician, they do the thing. They do it at school. You still have to go. I think all children should see an ophthalmologist for a good dilated exam before they enter kindergarten. Okay. And okay. why kids have the most to lose by not seeing somebody. The visual system isn't fully formed until we're about 10 11 years old so if you don't realize that one eye is weaker than the other even with both eyes open they're seeing great mm-hmm. you may not ever see as well later on in life in that eye i
2: started wearing them in first grade oh, that's, yeah. that's yeah. right kindergarten yeah okay yeah. Uh, so here well 2020 <laughs> here's anymore. another myth reading in dim light damages your eyes
1: So is that real? not true We heard this when we were younger, it doesn't damage your eyes, so poor lighting isn't going to actually cause something inside the eyes, but it is going to make you really tired. You're going to strain, you might actually miss things that are important when Mm -hmm. you're reading, you might get headaches, wrinkles, Mm. so not something that you want to do. What's
2: the 20-20-20 rule?
1: Ah, Remember that? Everybody, everyone's on a screen right now, so Mm -hmm. staring at a screen, we don't blink as much as we need to. Our blink rate goes down to only a fraction of what it is when we're standing here talking. Mm. We need to blink to coat our eyes for comfort and for Uh. good vision say every 20 minutes you're on a screen take a break for 20 seconds look in the distance 20 feet if you're in an office it's a great time to kind of take a walk around the office get Mm -hmm. some water you need to give your eyes a break we're not meant to be staring all day
2: and the one i always heard growing up uh eating carrots helps your eyes
1: well carrots are packed with vitamin A which our eyes need but sweet potatoes have even more vitamin A and by the way we need a whole lot more than vitamin A for healthy eyes so it's really a general balanced healthy Mm -hmm. diet don't forget your healthy fats the eyes are very vascular they're an extension of the rest of the body so anything that's damaging the blood vessels in your heart is going to affect your eyes as well Mm. so that general balanced diet exercise Quit smoking if you do. These are all really important things to keep the eyes healthy throughout life. Wow, yeah, <laughs> that's that's nice.
2: Can't nice. yeah. 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 picture Thank Bugs Bunny you. eating Thanks. a sweet potato. No. no, no. It's not
0: no. kind
1: of the same, right? The same. Thank you. Thank great. you so much for having me. Uh,
0: so, Bob, when I think about that clip and you think back to, to that, there's a couple things when, um, when this ophthalmologist uh, talks about having to see an ophthalmologist for your eye care if you're over the age of 40 every one year... And also being able to being required to see the ophthalmologist um, when you're a child—that's not as good as. So, first of all, there's a number of things to unpack. But my initial thought when she says this is one. She's completely propagandizing uh, to a public who is at risk for her propaganda, and then the other thought that I have, and this is probably a little too um, well, I certainly is probably a naive statement, but. Bob, my other thought is, does she just not interact with optometrists on a regular basis for her to really understand what we do? What was your reaction to that video? It
2: hit me the same way. Either she doesn't have any sort of professional relationship with optometrists and recognize the primary care that we deliver, or she was coached by her national association to maybe Intentionally diminish the role optometrists do because she had a national audience. And they're always, in my opinion, looking for opportunities to undermine from their national association, while the relationship with our doctors locally is fantastic. So I I I have yeah. a great relationship with the surgeons and the retina specialists that I work with, but it seems odd that their professional association. Doesn't share that.
0: Um, I mean, we could you we, you and I could talk a ton about the um, you know the, about the history and and sort of bad feelings. I, I don't think it's it's news yeah. to anybody. Um, we're we're going right now through getting everybody prepared for a legislative hearing that we have on Thursday, and and um, it's always gut wrenching to listen to that stuff. My my thought is is twofold. The first is that our professional organizations like the AOA have a an obligation to correct the record. So tell me first, like, what's the intricacies or what, ha- what has the AOA done to try to correct the record? And have we gotten anywhere with the Today Show when, in this specific instance? Yeah, th-
2: Immediately when that show aired, our communications people started c- creating a response to the producer to correct the record we I wrote a letter that our communications people helped me craft we got it to them that day with our outrage that we felt that we had been diminished so interestingly the producer wrote us back that day and his comment was yeah. it was factually while it was factually correct it wasn't as thorough and it wasn't as in-depth as we had wanted and he even admitted that his grandfather he was a nephew and a grandson of an optometrist so he understood what optometry does uh. and he quoted her exact words in the letter responding to me saying that you know it's it's not incorrect there's no place for us to show a rebuttal or a correction it's just incomplete and not as thorough as you wanted and he understood our outrage, we also put together a a craft letter for our doctors, an outline for them to write their own letter of disgust. And we got that out on all of our channels that day so that anybody who saw it could at least take action and know exactly who to reply to and who to send their thoughts to. So I have no idea how many people from our profession reacted
0: to that. But I know a lot did. It's, um, it's maddening because, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, it is almost, I don't know. I mean, you know, I hate to think about legal options, right? And I'm sure that those are kind of circling everybody's head like, well, that's not true. We need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, but it is not true. I mean, it's not true to say that you, you know, she's, her recommendations, I guess that was the thing. Her recommendation was see an ophthalmologist who's over the age of 40. And if you're a child, no matter, which I thought was great, actually, like the fact that good luck if you're a kid seeing an ophthalmologist uh, getting into a pediatric ophthalmologist, right? Um, Right. Good luck, unless you're referred specifically from a pediatrician. But she's actually going against what their recommendations are from the American Academy of Ophthalmology. And so to to recommend that even if you've passed a school screener, even if you passed a uh, pediatrician screener, that you still should get an eye exam um, by by the time you enter school. Kudos to her. Uh, I mean, there, I don't know that, that there is an, there. I I don't know that there's enough pediatric ophthalmologists, and I know there's not enough general ophthalmologists that see children to take care of all those kids. Because her recommendation was just from an ophthalmologist to to receive that care, but yeah. uh, she certainly wasn't in line with her association on that. Nope. So that was interesting.
2: I think that just overall, it was sort of a, a, a canned rehash of what American Academy of Ophthalmology always says, and it did the community a disservice. We are looking to get one of our doctors on from the New York area that can tell our story better, and we don't have any promises that that'll happen, but at least they know how what an uproar it created among our professional colleagues when they have incomplete information like they did and inaccurate recommendations like she had
0: You know it makes me think so the other the other thing and I'll kind of I'll let you respond But I'm not gonna. Um, I'm not going to Maybe make you kind of do my dirty work in this But the the other thought I have in this whole thing is that we are limited. And I've said this before is you know, while we want our professional associations to respond to these tactics and techniques, and while, in my opinion, you guys have done a great job, um, I actually still think that the onus of a lot of this outrage and a lot of this mischaracterization falls on our shoulders individually. And so let me explain why I say this. If that um, anchor who said to her that, she saved his vision because he had been sleeping in his contact lenses. And he wasn't, you can kind of hear him talk about how he wasn't entirely aware of the differences between optometrists and ophthalmologists until he saw her. And um, and that was sort of the the gist of where he was going with it. So you could hear like this indoctrination of of him from her. And it made me wonder, are we doing a good enough job within our profession of telling our story? by doing and not just saying so are we you know is enough of us or are enough of us actually walking the walk where there's no question when an ophthalmologist says you know what you should be seeing or, or any medical doctor you know a pediatrician you know oh my eyes are a little irritated who do you see for that oh I go to my optometrist down the street no 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 you can't see the optometrist for that I'm gonna I want you to see my buddy from medical school the ophthalmologist. If, if we haven't done a good job individually of managing that specific patient and really attending to all of the things that they've got going on and making it known to them because we walk the walk as opposed to just talking the talk, um, we're kind of our own, it's, it's kind of our individual faults collectively, right? If enough of us are doing that, that we're not sending a proper message of actually the complexity of what we do, then we bear that. It can't be borne on our associations. Do you you want to respond to that or no?
2: It's an interesting concept. I honestly think you're right. There's only so much the association can do to elevate the talk that goes on in our exam rooms and the value that our profession brings to the American public health system, but Without a national association to tell that story to the national players, you and I individually aren't going to make much of a difference. I still think we bear the responsibility to do the best we can. And to if, if we provide, let's say, optometry delivers 80% of the primary eye care and we're not getting the point across to our patients, the scope and breadth of our services and our, our care then shame on us for not explaining that we have emergency services. We have uh, all these other services in our practice. And if we haven't communicated that thoroughly to the population, we need to do a better job.
0: And I think that's what I, that's what I see is I I think a lot of, a lot of people, and I I guess you probably know better, you know, when I see this kind of stuff rear its ugly head, I see, um, I see everybody kind of leaning on the state associations or leaning on our national associations. And, I don't want to diminish what those organizations do. I mean you know as well as anybody how dedicated and committed I am to our associations. Um, I, I have a deep a deep deep love for those associations and mostly because I have a deep love for the people in the in those organizations and I have a kinship with them and a real true bond and and that's um you know that that's something that i I feel a part of I feel um, indebted to. Uh, and, and so I, I am in no way diminishing the role of the AOA in all of this, but I think it it has to be both of these things. It has to be, our AOA has to be doing exactly what you're doing, right? You're responding mm-hmm. to these things. There's no way you could have known that this was going to come up in advance. There's no way that that could have uh, occurred. And, and, and it's like whack-a-mole. If you, if you would have known this one, there's no way you could have known this other one. Right. But I see a lot of us, um, And I don't know about this time, but I've seen it historically where people kind of react like, well, AOA should have known about this. And it's their responsibility to do bop, 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 bop. And I just think, yeah, it's their responsibility to do that because they can represent us as a whole. But if we're not doing our job in telling our story through the the things that we do in and out every single day with the, you know, countless number of, of encounters that we have collectively across the country, if every single one of those encounters or... Let's just say, Bob, the vast majority of those counter encounters, we're mm. not communicating the complexity and the nuance uh, of of what we're doing for that specific patient through our knowledge, education, and training. Then we aren't holding up our end of that bargain. And I, I don't expect that you're gonna you're gonna say that, but it does make me wonder if if that's not what's happening, um, because I see it in, my, in myself. I, I've reflected a lot on this, just in general, of like you know, we all have days where we're kind of like, man, this is, you know, I'm not going to do any harm to patients. I'm going to catch everything, but maybe I'm really busy and I'm not going to articulate. I'm not going to communicate as effectively as I normally would because I got the next, I got to go, I got, I got to move. And so whenever I find myself feeling like that, I try to step back and make sure that I'm, you know, just pause for a second, make sure, and I'm not perfect at this for sure, but, um, you know, to be able to have the communication of, I am here for you whenever you need it. This is all the stuff that we've looked at you for. And these are all the things that we've evaluated. And I don't see any of those things. Or this is what I'm seeing. And so anyway, uh, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but um, I think it's incumbent upon us individually to help out with those stories so that less and less of them occur.
2: I think there's a variety of, uh, of just people being equipped to tell it as well as you can, Chris. And we all want to strive for that. And that's a good point that you bring up is that it's sort of our responsibility to tell the story about our profession in every opportunity we get in order to amplify the voices and uh, increase the visibility of what fantastic things optometry brings to the table.
0: Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. You said it better than I could have said it, Bob. Uh, I, I used way more words than than what you did. That's <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Um, okay. So, uh, just in a, in general, I think it's probably worth a peek behind the curtain in terms of AOA communications. There's people that do a lot of great stuff on an ongoing basis. Tell that story. I think, you know, be an advocate for the AOA. Um, I know you always are, but be an advocate for AOA communications. What are the types of things that you're doing to kind of monitor what's going on on an ongoing basis to be able to detect this and act quickly when it arises and also, you know, reach out. Uh, to to do other things um, that can maybe not preempt these things, but get our own opportunities, just so our members and and listeners who may be interested in becoming members, uh, and you should be, if you are a listener, you should be a member of the AOA and your state association. Um, What what kinds of things the AOA does for that?
2: As president, I look over every communication that goes out under my name, and we send information like a a letter about downcoding to Aetna and standing up for our profession and, and calling out issues that are illegal. There, I just signed a letter this morning to a health system in Louisiana that was requiring doctors that were going to be on their medical plan to uh, credential through a vision plan called Merit Vision, which was horrible. Mm. And it's against the law in Louisiana to require that a person credential through A a vision plan to get on a medical plan and they were breaking the law so we're watching out for those kinds of things for our professional uh, third-party payment uh, missteps if they would call it that Mm -hmm. and then we're reaching out we have a very um, involved program called I deserve more and we are trying to advocate to the public about the depth and breadth of what optometry does we're reaching out to people that are on screen saying how important it is to go offline and get a comprehensive eye exam in person with your doctor of optometry that's a member of the American Optometric Association. This is something that we've been working on with our public relations for ever since the pandemic shut down the Think About Your Eyes program that was run with, in conjunction with Vision Council trying to tell the public what's going on about optometry and how important it is. Uh, A couple other things. Our our communication channels are on 24-7 watching for these very miscues in the media and correcting them. So anything that comes in from a state association or from an individual member or anything on a national media scale that is misrepresenting optometry is going to get an immediate letter to correct it. And our team in DC and St. Louis is extremely tuned in to help the professional reputation be the best it can be through the media in the United States right now. So you'd be very proud of them, how well they do their job, how well they craft letters of policy and uh, promotion and public relations telling your story as doctors that deliver care in 6,500 communities every day to make life better for the visual welfare of the public.
0: The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to bill with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be billed together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E Y E C O D E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out icodeeducation.com. My patients with macular degeneration want clear and succinct recommendations from me related to products and solutions that can benefit their long-term ocular health and vision. To do this for my patients, I need to be confident that what I'm recommending will have a benefit to them. And that's why my supplement of choice is MacuHealth. MacuHealth is specifically formulated and clinically proven to rebuild and maximize macular pigment over a lifetime. This results in enhanced visual performance and aids in the treatment and prevention of age-related macular degeneration. I've discussed carotenoid absorption on this podcast with Dr. Nolans and Stringham, and MacuHealth uses a patented process called micromicelle technology. And this technology is clinically proven to increase carotenoid concentrations at the target tissue and deliver the highest level of bioavailability studied to date. MacuHealth has been great for my patients. We really feel like we have the ability to help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. If you're not utilizing MacuHealth for your patients, Check it out for yourself by contacting your Macia Health representative. I'm always impressed at how much we get done with, I mean, how focused our team is. You know, they're, they're, they're a very focused, like, you know, uh, the AOA staff is such a focused team. They get so much done with the, with the resources that we have available. Um, so they're hitting way above their belt, I think, is is the point. The AOA hits uh, above our belt uh, and gets to play the game um, in in ways that many other organizations our size probably would not be able to play.
2: I couldn't agree with you more. We have the most dedicated people. And guess what? There's over 80 people working full time to promote your profession that aren't even in the profession. They they're just love what they do at AOA. And our state associations are no different. We have all-stars, working in our state associations to make them the best they can be. I've been a volunteer for over 30 years in AOA, and I've never seen a a slacker or anything but high-performance individuals working on our behalf. And I I appreciate that. I'm grateful for that. You really get, like you said, we're, we're punching above our weight class with the quality of the people that work above and beyond on our behalf. And we should always be grateful for that. And it sort of disappoints me that people think they don't have to be members and don't have to be supporting these wonderful folks who are trying to grow their uh, opportunities in our profession and help their incomes and their professional relationships. And and I, I feel like they're ungrateful if they're not being membership oriented.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I I agree with you. I, I I I agree. I think it's um it's my suspicion is Bob that a lot of my listeners are probably. A very, very few of them are not members, but you know they're right. they're available, and we'd love to have you as members uh, of the organization. Or maybe I can't remember who used to tell me that um, everybody's a member, just not everybody is a dues-paying member. Um, you probably know who would have said that, but anyway. Yeah,
2: but that might have been me too. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but you're right. Yeah. You know, we we all benefit. And, you know, look at the PPP loans. If you got a PPP loan, that was worth about. 20 years of AOA dues, maybe average.
0: And, well, so that's that's, Bob, know, that's interesting, Bob. Look at that. That, yeah, you know, so there is the, I don't know that that has been, been talked about enough, but we could have easily been left out of that. That's what you're saying. We were
2: initially left out of it. And through our advocacy through Bill Reynolds, uh, we were able to get the Speaker of the Senate to say this is an issue for small business doctor offices in hometowns that are dying. And we can't give all of our federal support to the physicians that are in hospitals and nursing homes. We have to spread it across every Medicare physician and that includes optometrists. And uh, it it was a very important aspect of our legislative efforts that we had a fund, just happened to have a fundraiser for him prior to the pandemic. And he understood our situation and appreciated the care we deliver. And we were included in all the legislative efforts, but we originally were not. Those funds were intended for hospitals, nursing homes, and rehab centers to keep them going. And then they uh, expanded it to the physicians Then we became eligible.
0: It it would have been, that that period of time would have been tremendously difficult uh, to not have access to those funds. You know, We were hunkering down, if you you brought this back up and now I'm reliving it, but three years ago, right, almost three years ago, you know, I remember Mm -hmm. you could listen to the podcast, I've said this numerous times, you can listen to the podcast and you could fear the gravity of what I was struggling with every single day of like, what are we going to do with our staff? What are we going to do with Mm -hmm. our office? I mean, just how long can I go? We've got reserves. How long will those reserves really go and how, I mean, um, so, yeah, I mean, that that was a huge deal. And, and um, yeah, to your point, 20 years of AOA dues, it's pretty significant. Maybe more. Yeah, a for you.
2: It was $2.3 yeah. $2. billion total aid uh, to our profession through all yeah. the various channels. So if you divide that by 40,000 practicing doctors, it's close to $50,000, right? More yeah. than that. And so would 50,000 pay your dues for an entire career? Well, heck yeah. That's just one yep. program. Yeah. Not to mention all the goodwill that we received by being declared essential workers during that time and the ability to, to give vaccinations which put us in the mainstream of medical care for uh meeting the needs of the emergency situations. We it really elevated us and uh, I think we're on a roll. We're, we're getting a lot of momentum with our scope of practice laws advancing. We've had 10 states advance their scope, thanks to e- your effort as an advocacy chair and a lot of others. But thanks, Chris, for moving that ball.
0: Well, thanks. As much as, as little as I had to do with it, there's a lot of other giants I, had, I got to stand on the shoulders of. So thanks for giving me the opportunity. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with this, Bob. You know I've I've gotten to rub the shoulder rub shoulders with the giants of our profession and um, I'll tell you every time I get to see you, I, I think Bob's a serious guy, but he's always just so joyful. why? how how are you why? always so happy and enthusiastic about where our profession is headed? and just enthusiastic about life. I just see you as a guy that just really enjoys life. Uh, maybe I haven't been on the wrong side of you. But I, I, I think I'm a pretty decent uh, judge of character. And I, I think when I see Bob walking into a room, I just think this guy gets what this is all about. Not just our profession, but just about life. What is it, Bob?
2: It's interesting you ask. I have uh, had a very difficult time growing up and I had to earn my own way through everything. And through that experience, all the adversity I overcome... I am living the a, the a life of abundance, you know, spiritually, financially, relationship-wise. I have just found that optometry has been a vehicle for me to lift others and to feel like I am put here to do this. And I am so grateful that I can do this and be a a, a part of something bigger than myself that's meaningful and that I can give back to the community that is delivered a, a wonderful life for my family and I. And I just think about that. I, I, I used to live a life of lack until mm-hmm. I finally got my practice going. And it wasn't right away. It took me probably 15 years of practice to to, to get out of this uh, woe is me mindset and into a wow, isn't this great? Mm-hmm. And I, I never want to leave that thought pattern. I want to share that with others. And I'm sure others feel that gratitude to the profession but maybe not as richly as I feel it every day. And uh, I'm so far beyond what my wildest dreams of of personal uh, development and in relationships and family life would have been. And and that's why I've I've just, uh, I'm joyful about it.
0: So that, that's going to open up a whole other can of worms that you and I are probably going to have to talk about that first 15 years of practice, maybe on the podcast, probably over a beer sometime or a, or a cocktail sooner than that. Um, but I think sure. that's a great place to start, to stop, Bob. So Dr. Bob Lehman, thanks so much for coming on and talking, uh, giving us all a peek behind the curtain with you and also all the stuff that you're doing uh, and the AOA is doing on our behalf. So thank you so much for doing it.
2: I'm greatly appreciative that you asked me on and uh, keep it going. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: You're welcome. Thanks, Bob.